Philip, uh, for our next episode, it's it's the second in our series on American exceptionalism. And um, to kind of refresh our memories, why don't we listen to the tail end of our soundtrack that we did listen to in the first episode? According to de Tocqueville, there are four uniquely American cultural characteristics that were consistently observed throughout the nation. Productiveness, social equality, religious conviction, community life. He recognized that these cultural characteristics were the mortar that bound the society together. And he observed that all Americans were fully aware of their responsibility to protect and perpetuate the liberty they had inherited. Vast majorities appreciated and honored America's uniqueness and were proud yet humble about their new nation and their role in securing it for future generations. Declaration of Independence Principles In our earlier lessons, we frequently referred to the principles expressed in the Declaration of Independence. The founders began with, We hold these truths to be self-evident and we determined that these truths were in fact a set of theological, philosophical, and ideological pronouncements describing a radical departure from the existing societies of that age. Here are the truths our forefathers put forth. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. As we discussed throughout our studies, the Declaration actually introduced a whole new framework for civilization. The Declaration did not establish a new system of government. The Constitution and Bill of Rights make up the system that reinforces our Republic. In a similar way, the Declaration did not create the system that supports our economy. The pursuit of happiness is the principle, and free enterprise capitalism is the system. Both of these systems were derived from the principles articulated in the Declaration, and both of these systems have helped sustain the nation for over 230 years. But the Founders consistently warned that we the people must be steadfast and vigilant in order for the American experiment to succeed. America's unique characteristics were such a radical departure from the way mankind had always lived that it would require an equally unique culture to keep the nation from crumbling into the ashes of history. They, and subsequent generations, frequently cited our culture as the most effective barrier to tyranny. The principles and systems they put in place would help protect the nation against tyranny, but the cultural attributes of the people would be the strongest force necessary to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Welcome to the Legacy Project Podcast, a conversation that utilizes early American history as a way to explore and sustain our legacy of liberty. This series is intended to be enjoyed sequentially. Follow along with us as we discuss the foundational ideas of America that transformed the course of history and left each of us a legacy of liberty. Welcome to episode 12 of the Legacy Project. Um, today's lesson is the second uh, on American exceptionalism. And what we'll be looking at is Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, the French emissary who came to America in the 1830s and wrote uh, an extensive volumes of his observation of our nation and why it was ex succeeding. 
And uh, what he also really looked at was cultural characteristics, and we're going to examine those a little bit more closely today. So the cultural characteristics observed by Tocqueville um, were productiveness, social equality, community life, and religious conviction. Philip, uh, let's start with productiveness. And why don't you read the three categories and subcategories of productiveness? And then there's a quote from Tocqueville uh, about his observations on hard work. Yes, so here's what de Tocqueville said. He said, Active occupation is not only the principal source of the American's happiness and the foundation of their natural greatness. It is in the very soul of an American. He pursues it not as a means of procuring for himself and his family the necessary comforts of life, but as a fountain of all human contentment. Now, contrast that with a ruler-subject or state-controlled economy and the people that are working there. I don't think most people in that society consider their work as the fountain of all contentment. There's not much motivation to. No, where now we have a, a... productiveness that's instilled in the spirit of America from a cultural standpoint. And he's observing that, wow, the American people are excited about work. They're really uh, becomes a really major part of their positive attributes of their of their society, as opposed to the drudgery of having to be out in the field or on the assembly line or whatever. In other countries, you do feel more like a uh, a slave, whether you're just a servant or a serf, uh, you're just being told what to do by somebody else. And in America, they look at it as not in that, that context whatsoever. Well, when you and your family and your society get to participate and value that productiveness, it motivates that. And that productiveness then turns into, how can I do this better? Yeah. How can I do it faster? How can I do more of it? And sure. of course, we see that here where there's this mm-hmm. greater productiveness for invention and, and creativity and so on. He also, subcategory to this productiveness, the first one we looked at was hard work here, but he also looked at self-reliance and then getting ahead. Obviously, self-reliance was an opportunity to determine your own destiny. It's the pursuit of happiness, as we talked about. Uh, You could determine your own prosperity. Your career would be determined by you. It's not by who you know. Your success would be evaluated by the marketplace, not by some bureaucratic board somewhere, this, that, and the other. So your self-reliance was enhanced. You felt a lot of um, positive feelings as well as um, results due to your hard work and your productiveness. Finally, getting ahead, you're working for the next generation. You're not just working for the day. You're always trying to get ahead in order to make your children's life better as well as your life better in your lifetime. You know, an interesting uh, thing is before the pilgrims came over, they were in Holland for a time. Yes. And during that time, their lifespan became really short. They were sort of a second-class citizen there. Mm-hmm. They had fled England because of religious persecution. And they're there in Holland, and they're working 14 hours a day, and they're not able to really train their children. They're not able to hardly spend time with their children. Right. As a result, their children are being influenced by the wrong things, and, and they sort of have this... One of their big reasons for coming was they said, yeah, a lot of us are going to die. They knew how Jamestown was going, not very well. Right. Uh, (laughs) They said, yes, a lot of us are going to die. It's going to be really hard. But we're doing this for what they call their posterity, which is future generations. So it wasn't just getting ahead so that I can have 
comfort or ease, um, even though that would be a part of it, right? In the winter, you want to be comfortable and so on. But mm-hmm. um, getting ahead, like you say, for the posterity, for the future, yeah, uh, to be able to provide a, a better life for the next generation. Well, and de Tocqueville didn't see this in an isolated place or an isolated group of people. He said, this is the American cultural condition. And that's what's so surprising is it's not just an isolated case. It's it's universal to the American culture. And uh, it's very unique. And he's making this observation. So uh, the next one is uh, social equality. Uh, take a look at that. And then there's another quote from de Tocqueville that uh, kind of exemplifies uh, the identification with the middle class, which is what he sees as one of the characteristics of the social equality. So he really breaks this down into three parts, which is this identification of the middle class. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's no aristocracy. Right. And, and then this equality that comes from the creator, like yeah. we see in the Declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's what he said. He said, in the United States, the more opulent citizens take great care not to stand aloof from the people. On the contrary, they constantly keep on easy terms with the lower classes. They listen to them, they speak to them every day. Yeah, and this is not the European Western civilization, nor any civilization. If it's a ruler-subject society, in most cases, you have to cross the street if you see an aristocrat or somebody in the upper echelon heading your way. You have to get off of the sidewalk. And you typically pull your hair, you tip your hat, you bow down. So... He's saying, no, uh, everybody on the street is doing their deal, uh, whether you're the, the richest guy in town or whether you're the middle-class merchant or whether you're the guy that uh, works in the field. There's this equality of social standing that is um, another observation that he's making that's completely different than in other societies. So in in his experience, if somebody needed to get uh, food the person who needed to get the food would go get the food. He wouldn't send somebody else to go down to the marketplace. And so he would interact with the butcher on an equal level of service as well as uh, property as, uh, and capital type of a thing from our economic lessons. So he's saying, yeah, this is, this is very unique. So when we talked about no aristocracy, which, of course, was a huge debate, this idea of titles or labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if debate's the right word, but strong feelings on this one of there's no way we're going to go down that road right, in right. America. And even yeah. deciding what are we going to call the president before they decided that was a, a pretty significant issue Yes, uh, at that time. So there was a strong um, dislike for aristocracy and that cultural uh, stratifying of culture Yes, w- was a big deal here in America. Well, and not only that, but uh, how people dressed. You know, you you didn't dress in silk. You know, even if you were in the higher class, but that was typically at a at a party or at a dance or some kind of an event. But the day to day, you wouldn't be able to distinguish who was really the higher echelon versus the middle class versus whatever. Um, so the and labels. I mean, there was no lords or. or or marquise, or any of that, it was basically, you're just an American. Or, in fact, you weren't really calling yourself an American at this point. You were calling yourself a Virginian, or you were calling yourself a Marylander. You were more aligned with your state than you necessarily were with your your nation. And then, of course, the last one, equality from the Creator. 
Yes. Meaning our equality is not defined by somebody else who then we bow down to them because they gave me equality or, but it's defined by God. And then of course I'm accountable to God for it. Yes. And so that's a a two way street that we have. He, he gives us equality and we're accounted to him for how we use that equality. Well, in that sense of equality, you can see how the society was uh, stable and accepting of one another. There's this great tolerance undercurrent that is going on because of this feeling of equality with, uh, within the society. So the third one uh, would be community life. And he has uh, three characteristics there. Uh, civic engagement, neighborliness, and social trust. Uh, read the civic engagement portion of his observation. So here's what Tocqueville said. He said, Americans of all ages, all stations in life, and all types of dispositions are forever forming associations. There are not only commercial and industrial associations in which all take part, but others of a thousand different types, religious, moral, serious, futile, very general, and very limited, immensely large, and very minute. Americans combine to give parties, found seminaries, build churches, distribute books, and send missionaries to the ends of the earth. Hospitals, prisons, and schools take place in that way. In every case, at the head of any new undertaking, where in France you would find the government, or in England you would find some territorial magistrate, in the United States you are sure to find an association. Again, it's the the freedom of people to associate with one another, which is in the First Amendment, of course. But now he's seeing it in play. And so... In America, and it still is occurring today, uh, you, you think of the charitable institutions that are not necessarily government-sponsored. They're not needing to... If you want to go help somebody as a, as a group, then you just go help them. And you think of uh, most of the charities were not designated as non-profit. They're designated as charities. And so they, they don't do that in, in regards to a tax exemption as much as they would do that just because I have a passion to help people. And so other people that I know have the same passion. They want to help people. So let's put together a group and we'll just go help people. And I think that is uh, unique that he's seeing. It's either through a dominant state-controlled church or it's through a government. His final commentary there is, you know, in France— You'd have a government official, or in England, you'd have a territorial magistrate at the table when you're trying to decide what to do. So there'd always be this filter that you had to go through in order to achieve anything. So rather than have to even mess with that, you just don't do anything. But in America, all of this is happening. And I think that's still so ingrained within our culture yes. that we don't really think about that as unusual. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of human history, it's quite unusual. Yes, it is. And it all goes back to the, the, the purpose of America, the principles of America, and the cultural characteristics that began when we first started to settle here. And then he's making these observations about how these are then influencing the actual functioning of our society. So the next one after civic engagement was neighborliness, mm-hmm. this idea of people helping each other, whether that's shoveling the walk for somebody or mowing the lawn worked a little different back then than it does today. But yeah, yeah. these sort of things, which, of course, we, we've previously talked about how the systems in place encourage that, yes. where free market, so there's just compassion and generosity as opposed to, well, 
ask the government to help you if you need help sort of thing. Right. Their right. problem. Yeah. So, so, but there was this cultural aspect where people were helping each other. Yeah. And I think, um, we, we still see that today. I mean, if there's a snowstorm, uh, the, the widow down the street is going to have her driveway shoveled by somebody who's just out doing that. And it's not like there's an expectation or there's going to be a payment or there's, it's just, you want to help your neighbor. If somebody on the side of the road, and, and this would have been true in the days when there was a carriage. It's true today if there's somebody off the side of the road trying to fix a flat, somebody inevitably will go over and try to help them. And I think those are characteristics of our culture that are still ingrained into our culture. The final one is social trust. And another kind of subtle but important. So you, you, you begin your day trusting your fellow man. Uh, doesn't mean that your fellow man is trustworthy, but you start with that premise. And then if there's, uh, there's a violation of that trust is how you would then react to that. But um, if you think about it, uh, children playing in the park or at the neighbor's house, so there's a trust that they're going to be watched and there's not going to be a violation. Another aspect of that would be jogging, uh, whether that's in the early morning or whether that's... Uh, in the evening or at night, you would have this social trust that you can go out and, and be in your community without feeling that there's somebody who's going to come and hurt you. A lot of that's the rule of law. A lot of that's just uh, reinforced by how uh, our systems are put in place, but it's, uh, it's kind of a cultural characteristics that he's observing under this community life category. And then the last one that we have is religious conviction. Mm-hmm. And he sort of broke this down as the source of virtue uh, and then the source of the social activism that went on yes. and the source of self-control. Let me read his, um, his quote this time. So, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and vast world commerce, but it was not there. In her democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, but it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and her power. America is great because she is good, and if America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That's a fantastic quote. Yeah, and it's attributable to de Tocqueville, um, and I think, to me, it really captures uh, what he saw in America and why America was working. These other cultural characteristics are almost derivatives of this because this is where the source of virtue uh, resides is in these churches and through their religious convictions. The other part of this is fascinating too, the source of social activism. Now you start to think about the, the abolition of slavery movement it started in churches. It was part of the Quaker belief system, the Congregationalists. Most of the New England churches were abolitionist churches, and they began to send people out, and you would get these religious convictions that would then influence slavery, and then you had women's rights to vote. All of these things started right. in the churches. They were religious conviction action, social activities. Even the Underground Railroad. Yep. 
and yeah. Harriet Tubman and, and all of these historical figures. There was a conviction yes. uh, in the equality of man. And this and, wasn't a government conviction. This was a cultural conviction. And it stemmed from this religious component of everybody's life. So very positive things resulted in people's dedication to all of this. Social activism today, you contrast the uh, women's suffrage movement, the right to vote, to today's feminist movement. One was really a, a expression of all men in the universal men are created equal. The other is a political movement. So these were religious movements. These were heartfelt cultural movements based on a religious conviction, whereas we now have movements that are more politically oriented as opposed to religiously grounded. In this for them really been produced there was a conviction of a point of they're willing to risk their life risk their everything yes on behalf of um these causes because they believed in it yes well and it all goes back to the declaration and the principles and uh you know they're they're risking their lives their fortune and their sacred honor for these these particular causes but it had a very profound influence on the uh, improvements of our social consciousness because the all men are created equal. We've talked about if those words weren't written down, we didn't win the Revolutionary War, we didn't implement a society, we didn't have a civil war, we didn't have a civil rights movement. N- none of the aftermath would have even occurred if we hadn't have won the war. And if they weren't written down, none of this stuff would have occurred. Slavery would never have been abolished from an economic standpoint because every nation in the planet had slaves, and that was a very instrumental part of their economy. But the morality and the immorality that began to really rise up in America, and I think that's what uh, eliminated slavery through the Civil War from a legal standpoint. And today we don't have slavery. We still have the need for civil rights to be addressed, Uh, but even that's been much more uh, advanced in the last hundred years than it was in the 200 years prior to that. So then the last one we have is a source of self-control. And of mm-hmm. course, self-control is a big part of liberty. Yes. That you have individual freedom, but but there's a need for the vice uh, that we can so quickly degrade into to be controlled. Yes. And so this idea of self-control, and, and that self-control wasn't just based upon well, I've got self-control. I, I bring myself to the bar every night and get drunk. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I do that under my own control. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, but it was a self-control based upon their conviction they had, their religious Christian conviction that they had. Yeah, yeah. Well, and these four categories are just, uh, just scratching the surface of what Tocqueville observed. Uh, but these are these cultural characteristics that he was— just astonished at how how this nation actually lived the principles that were articulated in the Declaration in the culture. And it was the culture that was holding this together. Um, You know, he's not saying it was the Constitution that held this together. It was, you know, the federal government or the state government. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't the institutions uh, that are typically associated with rulers. This was convictions of the heart. And those convictions of the heart were articulated in the Declaration and then fulfilled as he was observing them even into the 1830s, 50, 60 years after the fact. So these observations from de Tocqueville are really quite amazing. And I, and I love that quote earlier that you shared 
where he says, I, I looked for the the greatness of America. Yes. And, you know, I, I looked in the land and it wasn't there. I, I looked all over. And basically his conclusion is the greatness of America came from the virtue and you could say the, the principles of the American people. So it's a culture thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the question is, is what do we do about it? We have a culture today and it has some of those things. Uh, some of those things have definitely eroded over time. Mm-hmm. Where do we start? Well, I would start by an acknowledgement that these cultural characteristics still exist in the spirit of America. The American people still have neighborliness, the kindness, uh, the dedication, the the work ethic, all of the things that Tocqueville mentioned. They may not be quite as prominent, and our culture probably isn't as aligned or uh, in sync with with all of those as deliberately and as purposefully as they were in his day. But I think each of us can take a small step towards writing the culture, making the culture better. It's a small beginnings type of an approach. Um, a story that comes to mind is in, um, in Manhattan, uh, a young minister in the 40s, I think it was, 1940s, maybe it was the 1950s, let's say it was the 50s, he started a church in really the, the most decimated area of that large city. I mean, it was poverty-stricken. It was filled with drug dealers, prostitutes, porn hawkers, and was ruled by gangs. Literally, competing gangs were ruling this section of Manhattan. His first meetings only drew a few people, 20 people maybe, 30. But over time, they grew to hundreds, and each week drawing locals from the surrounding neighborhood. So more and more people that were living under this uh, really horrible conditions were starting to come to this church. And the other people that were in the church started to go out into the neighborhood. It wasn't that we just isolated on Sunday morning and did nothing other than attend at a building. They went out into this neighborhood. And then slowly, people from the church in this daily interaction that they exhibited and expressed, soon they began to notice changes in the cultural conditions. The the pornography started to reduce the shops for that. There were fewer porn shops. The gangs were replaced with um, supportive police presence as opposed to just gang violence. Um, redevelopment began. And, and today, um, in the 21st century, this whole area still remains one of the most wholesome areas in New York City. And it's because of these small beginnings that started with one person's dedication to the principles of the culture that de Tocqueville. And those principles then were exported and implanted into the surrounding neighborhood, which was horrific. But because of this dedication to these principles and this dedication to fellow man, so to speak, this place has raised itself up to be really, really an exceptional section of a city. And this area, uh, to me, this is what we all ought to be aspiring to do. We should be looking for opportunities and recognizing that we're not all going to have this explosive outcome. A small beginning can be as as simple as doing a generous tip. It can be as simple as buying somebody else lunch or a cup of coffee or these things that we can start doing that are exhibiting positive relational interactions. Take a young person and mentor them. If you're a young person, find an older person 
and talk to them about their lives and learn from that. Those kinds of things, I think, become relational activities that we can actually then change the culture into a more positive place if we take those things seriously. And of course, doing those things based upon principles, yes. based upon the things that we believe in and the values that we have. So sort of as a, um, maybe a bit of provoking thought for us hmm. as a question here, um, you have de Tocqueville, he comes from France. He was here for, is it 10 years? 10 years. So, that, so he's here for a long time. It's yes. not a, a, you know, just a flash of pain. He sees a lot of places. Right sees a lot of things, and, and he saw some things that he didn't agree with as well. Yes. And he said, wow, this doesn't really make sense for the principles. They have some inconsistencies. Um, and uh, over time, you see those being dealt with in the culture. Mm-hmm. But um, sort of a, a thought-provoking idea is imagine somebody from a foreign place, you know, from Asia somewhere, were to come in, right. live in your house with you for a period of time, and then write a book on the culture of your life, yes. of your home, of your neighborhood, your community, and the impact that we are having, what would that book look like? And, you know, it'd be an interesting exercise even to sit down and say, what is the culture of my life and the principles and my family? And try writing the book yourself uh, even, but to begin to to think about what are these principles that I'm standing on and what would that book be? Uh, I think it's a a good thought-provoking question for all of us. Yes, and I think, what, what you're talking about is legacy. Uh, de Tocqueville observed our national legacy in our culture. We have individual legacies as well. And I think uh, if we start to focus on legacy as how we are living our life, or back to our very first uh, session, we, we defined legacy as the components of a person's character that are exhibited and expressed to descendants, friends, associates, and strangers. So... Your legacy can either be a rotten legacy, or you can make it a very positive and fulfilling and an, an inspirational legacy. And I think these choices are what we should be focusing on and striving, aspiring to do a better job of that. But yeah, the, the principles that uh, we have been uh, living under as America, articulated in the Declaration of Independence and then systemized in our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and our free market system, and then supported and sustained by our cultural characteristics. Those things are how we should perpetuate this in order to give it to our children and our grandchildren. The The founders knew this, and the Tocqueville knew this as well. Uh, I would say that now that each of us can understand this, uh, each of us has a responsibility, a duty Uh, to leave the world a better place for ourselves, those around us, and future generations. You know, our studies here, have uh, studies of the creation of America, have described amazing stories about how a few men defining their principles and standing behind them. They pointed out really quite clearly that the keys to sustaining our liberty-oriented society, it's by supporting and promoting the cultural characteristics that are unique to Americans that de Tocqueville observed. Really, a strong culture will make our system of government and economy stronger. But a weak culture will result in weak and corrupt systems. A strong culture will raise up solid leaders, families, friendships, and communities, whereas a weak culture tears them down. As community leaders, it's our duty, individually and collectively, 
to exhibit and express the virtuous components of our character to descendants, friends, associates, and strangers, leaving a purposeful and deliberate legacy that will influence and impact our culture and ultimately the society. The founders knew this. Alexis de Tocqueville saw it too. Now that we understand it, each of us can make other small beginnings that will impact the culture, leaving the world a better place for ourselves, those around us, and future generations. (laughs) 